Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us today. What a blessing that was to, to get to hear our children uh, as, as we worship. I uh, want to encourage you to take a look at, at the bulletin. We have lots and lots of things coming up, and, and there's something for everybody. On, on October 1st, we've got a Ladies' Day here. October 16th, we've got a, a Youth Day um, there's also going to be a Senior Saints brunch on October 16th, and then um, October 30th, Trunk or Treat. So just lots of events coming up, and I uh, would encourage you to be a part of those. And so last week, we began talking about how to re- revitalize the church in an age of decline. And so even though we live in a secular age, uh, we are still, still spiritual beings, with certain needs and desires. And one of those is identity. That's what we talked about last week. And so we need to know who we are. We find our identity in Christ. But we live in this culture that is very confused about identity, and it's trying to get us to embrace other identities besides Christ. And some of the groups, organizations, and companies who are pushing these identities, well, they're, they're doing a, a really good job at it, and in some cases better than the church. And one of the reasons young people are leaving Christianity is because they do not know who they are. And sometimes we're not always telling them who they are. Instead, other groups in our culture are giving them that identity that they desire. These other groups are very clear and purposeful about their message and their goals. And if we're going to revitalize the church, we need to have a strong sense of identity. We need to embrace our identity as a Christian over and above these other identities that that we regularly encounter in our society. We need to know what it means to be a Christian, and we need to be sharing this with the next generation, sharing it with our kids and our grandkids. So this morning, uh, we're going to turn our attention to another area of revitalization where the church should be excelling, but in some cases has, has fallen short. And it's the area of community. And just like identity, if if people cannot find it in the church, well, then they're going to go and they're going to look elsewhere. And we're seeing this. People are seeking out community. They're seeking out community in sporting events or political rallies or other places. Identity and community is something that goes hand in hand. And so without identity, it's difficult to create meaningful community. And churches who do not know who they are, they're going to struggle to be a healthy community. Likewise, competing identities can be problematic for community. And so churches who adopt multiple identities will struggle to be a community. And so if our identity in sports or politics or sexuality or or whatever else is greater than our identity in Christ, then we may choose those other communities over the church. 
or our church community may be fractured because we're allowing these, these other identities to cause division in our relationships with our brothers and sisters. Knowing who we are in Christ and embracing this as our primary identity leads to healthy and vibrant community. Well, identity is not the only challenge that we face when it comes to community. There's always this temptation when it comes to religion to make it transactional. In fact, there are religions that are, that are transactional religions. This is um, how ancient paganism was. And so a person would go and they would give something, they would make a sacrifice at the altar, and they would expect to get something in return. You may want your crops to do well, and so you go and you, you, you make this sacrifice to the pagan god expecting a favorable outcome in return. It's all about the transaction, and you would use religion to get what you needed. And Jesus pushes back against this idea when he discusses prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6, verses 7 through 8, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, or all Gentiles are pagans, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so what Jesus is saying here is you don't have to uh, appease God with lofty words as the pagans do. You don't have to go and give God a lot of compliments trying to impress him in order to get something in return. God already knows what you want. God already loves you. And God wants the best for you. And so a simple prayer will do. Transactional Christianity is still a temptation today, especially since we live in a consumeristic culture. Transactions are just in our DNA. It's something that we do every day. And some organizations will allow you to, to donate money rather than volunteer. And that's what we want, isn't it? We'd rather make a transaction than to have to commit to something. What does transactional Christianity look like in America? It looks like showing up for one hour on Sunday, doing whatever it is that we need to do, and then not having any connection to the church for the rest of the week. And Christianity becomes about this one hour on Sunday, and it has little or nothing to do with the rest of our lives. One of the most important elements of worship is communion. What we just practiced a few minutes ago. And we call it communion because we are supposed to commune. We commune with God and Jesus, but we are also to commune with one another. And what transactional, or transactional Christianity does is it removes the communion aspect from communion. We show up and we participate, but we don't have to commune with anyone. We don't share our lives with one another. Communion in the early church was always involved a meal. It always involved sharing your lives with someone else. And you couldn't have communion without communing. Again, this problem of making religion transactional 
It's not new. Jeremiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, he faced it in his day. And so what was happening then is that people were, were coming to the temple for worship. They were making this transaction. They were making their sacrifices. They were saying special words, as he, as he alludes to, and then ignoring the commands of God. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, God instructs Jeremiah. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and stand in front of the temple. And as people are coming in to worship, I want you to preach to them. It's kind of an awkward thing to do. Um, he was to remind these people of what it is that God desires. And, and we have the account here of what God instructs him and, and what he says. So it says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. So stand just right outside. Stand where the people come in. And proclaim here this word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. And so it's important that we don't treat God flippantly. God is a gracious God. He's a forgiving God but he will not be disrespected. And the people in Jeremiah's day thought that they could get away with treating their faith as transactional. If I just show up once a week and I make this sacrifice, then they thought that they could just live however they wanted to live. And God says that's unacceptable. That we have to take God seriously. We have to take his word seriously. We can't treat him flippantly. And so I want us to consider some passages that, that most of us are familiar with that relate to the significance of community to both church and worship. And the first one is found uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21 through 24. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so we know this passage. We, we, we know most of the Sermon on the Mount. We've we read it over and over again. We know how Jesus identifies anger as the root of murder. But what is fascinating here for our purpose is what he says about worship towards the end of this. And so if you just pay attention to the end where he says, if you're offering this gift at the altar, so he's, he's talking about worship, 
and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. If worship is transactional, then our relationship with one another does not matter. It's all about making the transaction, making the sacrifice. But Jesus tells us here that relationships do matter. That we are expected to have relationships with one another. And when we come to worship, not only that, we have to consider the health of those relationships. And if those relationships are not healthy, if there's a problem, then that problem needs to be resolved before we worship. Why? Because community is at the heart of what church is. We see this in 1 Corinthians 11. In this case, there are divisions in the church in Corinth. And Paul writes about the implications that these divisions have on worship. And he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. What is wrong with the Lord's Supper in Corinth is not something personal. It's not something doctrinal. It is division within the community. So much so that they're told that they're not actually worshiping. That this division within the church has made their worship null and void. Again, why? Because community is at the heart of what church is. And if there is no communion with one another, then there is no church. Because church is community. We see all of this fleshed out in 1 John. This book, uh, the small book, reveals the theological importance of community and loving one another. And I want just to consider a couple verses from chapter 4. Simple statements, but they have deep meaning. First of all, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And then verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so to practice Christianity, we have to have brothers and sisters to commune with and love. Christianity cannot be practiced alone. It cannot be practiced transactionally where we only take care of ourselves, we only worry about ourselves and not concern ourselves with the people around us. Why is this important? Why does God require this? Well, John explains that our brothers and sisters, they stand in the place of God. And so when we love them, We love God. And this is similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 25. 
When we serve others, we serve Jesus. And Christianity is meaningless until we put all of this into practice. We're not truly loving God unless we are loving our brothers and sisters. We're not truly serving Jesus unless we are serving others. And so we, we know community is at the heart of Christianity because we see it in the early church. The end of Acts chapter 2 gives us this picture of what the church was like when it first began. And what we have here is a picture of an ideal church. And it's what we should be imitating today. And so Acts 2, verses 43 through 47. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what was the early church like? Well, it was a community. A community who spent time together, ate together, and worshiped together. Church is not just worship. It's more than this. It's breaking bread together. It's potlucks and fellowship meals. It's coffee and donuts. It's wedding showers and baby showers. And it's using our tables and inviting people into our homes. We as human beings need community. And if we cannot find it in the church, then people will look elsewhere. And, and there are uh, groups and organizations who do community quite well. Some of them are, are those that we talked about last week. They are successful because they give people an identity and they give people a place to belong. And these are things that the church should be doing. If we want to revitalize the church, then we must commit to community. We must do what Jesus did. We must do what the early church did. We must regularly break bread together. And so I'd say to you this morning, if you're not participating in those times that we fellowship together, please consider doing so. These are not just extra things that the church does for fun. They are church. They are opportunities for God to dwell in us and for us to love others as we would love God. There are opportunities for us to see God in one another, just as Ron described for us in worship this morning. The good news is many people here are doing exactly this. You know, I think about our Wednesday night meals, which have just been amazing. And this last Wednesday... Um, I was a little bit late getting out there, and I went out there, and every table was full, and we had to set up more tables. We had an uh, amazing turnout also on uh, Labor Day weekend, a, a time when many people are gone, but, but uh, Labor Day weekend, we had a fellowship meal here, and people did not hurry to get out the door. You stayed, and you visited, and the church um, 
and, and church continued even after the closing prayer. You know, Psalm 133 and verse 1 states, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Church is more than one hour on Sunday. And we need to get back to how church is defined in Scripture. Because it is community. And make sure that you're not missing out on this. The church is supposed to offer people genuine fellowship and community. But at the same time, what we offer is more than community. It is an encounter with the holy. It is discovering God in our midst. It is seeing Jesus and the people all around you. It is finding him in the breaking of the bread. There's no better argument for Christian community than Luke chapter 24 and the story of the road to Emmaus. Where is it that that these two travelers have their eyes opened and see the Savior that they desperately long to see? It says, when he, that is Jesus, was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. We have opportunities almost every week to encounter God as we break bread together. We have an opportunity this evening as we're going to celebrate a couple who is about to be married. We have an opportunity on on Wednesday as we serve together and gather around tables together. We have an opportunity in a couple weeks when we'll enjoy another fellowship meal after worship. Take advantage of these opportunities and be the church that God wants us to be. Don't make Christianity transactional. Discover how Christianity is holy and beautiful when we share our lives with one another. This is the Christianity that people want and need. It's a Christianity that I'm glad to say is alive and well here in LaGrange. And so won't you join us? Won't you be a part of the community of God here in this town? Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we're so thankful for your presence with us here this morning. And we're grateful for your plan and your wisdom and how you have called us to be a community and how you have called each and every one of us to find you in our brothers and sisters. May our eyes be open to see you in them. May we slow down from the busyness and distractions of life and spend time in true and genuine fellowship with our brothers and sisters so that you, God, may dwell in us. We're so thankful for Christ who has shown us this way. We pray this in his name. Amen.